Well, this morning we heard from Jason out of Acts chapter 2 that church health can be judged by church togetherness. We saw that the local church shares an identity, shares needs, shares worship, shares meals, shares witness to the world. But what's a church supposed to do when togetherness is hard? When it's hard? When there are differences between church members? When church members sin against each other? Well, as a part of our ongoing series on one another verses, we'll look to see what God says in His Word about what we should do when togetherness is hard. I pray that in this time together, God will enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can better glorify him through our togetherness. Well, as always, let's begin with the text. Tonight, we're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. As a little bit of a runway to our text, I'll, I'll start reading in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Then here we are in verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So the Holman Christian Standard Bible hopefully renders, I think, bearing with one another as accepting one another, accepting one another. So here we see two instructions to the church and one reason for the instruction. Altogether, those those three things will form the big idea for our text tonight. Accept each other, forgive each other, because Jesus has forgiven us. That's our three-part outline for this evening. Accept each other, forgive each other, because Jesus has forgiven us. So first point, accept each other. Well, the first thing we have to understand about this instruction is that it is a corporate instruction. Acceptance of one another is not an individual virtue. It's a virtue that's practiced in company. Paul here is writing to the church, and so to brothers and sisters in Christ. So in this instruction, what it means is that we have to be accepting of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the community of the church. Well, what does this mean, to be accepting of our brothers and sisters in the community of the church? I think a fair way of understanding that instruction is something like this. We should make allowances for others who are different from us. We should make allowances for others who are different from us. What Paul's saying here is that we're all different from each other. And so we're all called to accept those differences and to bear with those differences. We shouldn't let them annoy us. We shouldn't let differences get under our skin. 
And we certainly shouldn't let differences degrade our togetherness before God. What kind of differences are we talking about? There are so many. We could spend hours talking about our differences, couldn't we? Let's look at verse 11 for some help. Right there you see, right right there above, you see a, a partial list of differences. Here, meaning in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Well, this list of differences, I don't know, doesn't seem particularly relevant to us today, does it? I mean, who here is a Scythian? Does anybody know what a Scythian is? All right, so here we are looking at this verse, wondering what it means. But if we dig a little bit deeper, what we see is that Paul is highlighting social differences between believers. And social differences are still very relevant today. Let's just take a look at the first one here, right? This difference between Greek and Jew. What he's specifically highlighting there is ethnic differences between believers. Do we have ethnic differences in this church? You bet we do, of course. Can they undermine, can those differences undermine togetherness? If we're not careful, they absolutely can. Brothers and sisters, it's a part of our fallen human nature to keep with our own clan, to keep with our own tribe, and to be cautious about outsiders, those that are different from us. But it should not be so in the church. In the church, Christ is all and in all. In the church, Ethnic differences are a glorious display of God's creativity in making people and cultures different. And guess what? Those differences are going to be on full display for all of eternity as every tribe and language and tongue and people raise their voices in praise to the God who saved them. So we are instructed to accept even to embrace ethnic differences between believers. Well, how do we do that practically? Let me offer two suggestions. Number one, before or after church, make a point of introducing yourself to someone from an ethnicity different than your own. That might be uncomfortable depending on who you are. But make a point of introducing yourself to someone of an ethnicity different than your own. You can't accept ethnic differences if you don't even know what they are. Get to know brothers and sisters here who are ethnically different. Number two, don't ignore ethnic differences. Acknowledge them. We're called to accept ethnic differences. In this context, colorblindness is not a virtue. Dr. King's famous line about being judged not by the color of one's skin, but by the content of one's character is often misused to ignore ethnic differences. What our passage says is that we are supposed to accept differences. But before we can accept ethnic differences, we must acknowledge 
ethnic differences, to acknowledge that others have different backgrounds, different experiences, and different perceptions of the world. Let me give you a, what I think is a very revealing example between different ethnicities in conservative Protestant churches. Conservative Protestant churches, not just the general public. That, you know, this is us that we're talking about here. Sociologist Michael Emerson recounted in his book, Divided by Faith, a survey taken of black and white conservative Protestants. When black evangelicals were asked to explain the socioeconomic gap between black and white Americans, 72% said that it was because of structural racialized discrimination. How many white evangelicals agreed with that, do you think? 27%. 72% versus 27%. White evangelicals were much more likely to explain that difference as arising from a lack of motivation by blacks to succeed. That's people in conservative evangelical churches holding that point of view. That's a huge difference. That is a huge difference in how ethnic groups, different ethnic groups, perceive challenges to the ability of black Americans to survive and to thrive. If we ignore ethnicity then, if we ignore facts like this, if we aim to be colorblind, oh, there's no difference, we miss these very real differences in backgrounds and experiences and in perceptions. They go unacknowledged. They go unaccepted. And they can contribute to a dividing wall of misunderstanding between brothers and sisters. Ethnic divisions in the church do not display God's glory. They do not promote togetherness. But how can you learn about ethnic differences? Well, I'll tell you where you won't learn very much about ethnic differences that's helpful. Twitter and algorithmically driven news feeds. You won't learn much there that's useful. A good place to learn is breaking bread around a table with ethically different brothers and sisters. If you want to cultivate togetherness in this church, guard your tongue, guard your thumbs, and spend time with your ethnically different brothers and sisters, acknowledging and accepting how God has made us all different. Well, our passage also says that we must forgive each other. And so that's our second main point. And it will be shorter than the first point. Our passage says this. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. What we're talking about here is our response when someone sins against us, when the relationship is broken between two Christians because of sin. Well, that's what it means to have a complaint against each other in, in this verse. Complaint here isn't something like, gee, I wish Chris Dish would shave, right? That, that, that's not the kind of complaint that we're talking about here. Here, 
A complaint is more like a legal cause of action in a legal proceeding. You have been wronged by another. You've been sinned against. Well, in the case of sin between brothers and sisters in this church, the instruction is clear. We are to forgive. Well, what does it mean to forgive? It means not to hold a person's sin against them. It means to cancel the debt created by the sin. It means to dismiss or pardon the offense. It means that we don't bear grudges. We don't relive old wrongs for days or weeks or years. I've seen it for decades. We don't hold on to our anger at being wronged. We don't cultivate the poisonous little plant of bitterness. We are to forgive. Now, I want to stop here for just a second and make sure uh, and clarify what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, and our passage certainly does not command, that forgiveness means sweeping sin under the rug. It would be wrong, for example, for the victim of a criminal abuse to be told only to forgive her aggressor and not inform the criminal justice authorities. Sin that we forgive can and oftentimes should come with earthly consequences. But thank God that sins that he forgives does not come with eternal consequences. And that brings us to our third and final point. We are to accept each other and forgive each other because Jesus has forgiven us. Our passage says this, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If we are to imitate Christ, if we are to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of our creator, we must imitate him in forgiveness. When someone sins against you as a believer, consider this. You were once by nature a rebel to God. He had a righteous complaint against you. And the just sentence for that complaint was death. Separation of the sinner from the sinless God. But God, being rich in mercy, and because of his great love for us, forgave you and forgave me our sins. He did it through Jesus, who had no sin, who deserved no death, but who died on the cross for our sins. The divine justice that we sinners deserve was poured out on Jesus, canceling our debt to God by nailing it to the cross. How much more then, dear brothers and sisters, should we forgive each other for immeasurably smaller offenses? A sister's angry with us. A brother's impatient with us. How can we, who have been forgiven so much, not eagerly and quickly forgive each other? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. We must accept each other. We must forgive each other. Because Jesus has forgiven us and called his church to unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray.
Father, you are great in mercy, forgiving our sins through no merit of our own, but solely through the merit of your sinful Son, Jesus Christ. Cause us to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ our Savior by leading us to accept each other and to forgive each other. In Christ's name, amen.